Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All Star Squadron. episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey, and with me as always is the man, the myth, the legend, Scott H. Gardner. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Scott's getting over a cold, people. Yes, or it's getting over me, one of the, one of the two. <laughs> it got over on you. Man, I'm telling you. We also have a special guest tonight in the form of my dog, who has to sit in my lap because uh, my wife's doing something that would result in her barking in the other room. And uh, as funny as that is, like every once in a while, like the middle of the show, it's like, hey, Mike's dog's barking. That's really cute. Even though it pisses Scott off. But yay, Mike's, <laughs> Mike's dog's barking. Isn't that I cute? knew you were going to throw me under the bus. I just knew it was coming. Well, it's not, it's not like I'm throwing you under the bus over a bad thing when you really think <laughs> about it. <laughs> I could throw you under the bus over, like, serious Lots things, of things, but, yes, but I, I know. <laughs> um, we don't have a whole lot in the beginning, or at least I don't have a whole lot in the beginning here, uh, like we have over the past couple of episodes. I do want to mention one thing. Uh, this episode is coming out on February 3rd. 2012 and if you are 
listening to this the weekend it comes out. I do want to, and I don't normally do this, I did this over at From Crisis to Crisis 2, but, you know, uh, I, I don't normally like to hawk something that I'm actually selling, but I actually have some stuff on eBay right now. Uh, I'm selling off all of the Batman books from the New 52 that I bought, and for the most part, just didn't read. And uh, Scott will uh, will kind of back me up on this. You know, there, there just comes a time when you look at a title that you buy month after month and then don't read right away that you realize, well, maybe this title just isn't for me. Yep. So I have a bunch of issues. They're in lots by title. Uh, basically, they come out to like, in most cases, like two bucks a piece with the opening bid. It ends on the 6th. I believe it's the 6th. It might actually be the 7th. Uh, but I will throw a link up in the show notes to uh, to the page. And if you feel like buying some Batman books at a, at a discounted rate, uh, just go ahead and bid away. I, uh, I do combine on shipping because I'm not an asshole. I had somebody not combine on shipping with something recently, and it really pissed me off. Like, really? You're going to charge me full... Full shipping for both of those items, even though you're going to put them in the same package? That's like, where the profit really? lies. Yeah. Well, there's profit, and then there's raping me. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's like those penny auctions, but then it's like $20 shipping on a digest size book, and it's like, seriously? Come on. Who are you kidding here? But it looks like some people are actually watching some of them. So that's that's kind of neat. I'm glad, I'm glad for that. But yeah, no, just, you know, like I said, two bucks a piece, kind of cheap shipping. I, I do priority mail because I find uh, it gets to you faster. And as a as a person who buys a lot of crap on eBay, I like it to get to me as fast as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I have no patience uh, for waiting. Right. And... Uh, and I know that eBay is a buyer's market right now, but I figured I'd sell some stuff anyways. So, and I thank Scott for letting me uh, make this little announcement. No, not at all. Not at all. Gotta pay the bills, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just... I mean, I'm not gonna get back everything I paid for them, but at the same time, I just want them out of my freaking house. So, I... <sighs> I'm having that urge again to sell like half my comics. So, uh, you know what? If if it wasn't the market, you know, as you describe it, and very accurately, so I, I've had the same itch here recently. That man, oh man, you know, I, I've been thinking more and more. Uh, you know, just before we got started recording, we were just talking about uh, our buddy uh, Andy uh, uh, Leyland that's going to be coming over to the states here in the next. Uh, month or so I think anyway I keep meaning to to get a hold of him I've heard him mention several times on his show now that he's reading digital comics on some sort of reader and I'm pretty sure that he gets stuff through uh, our buddy Tor <laughs> and if, if he's actually managed to work that out now to where he can he can get that stuff and and he's got it to play on some sort of digital reader I want to I want in on that I, I want to know <laughs> what the what the skinny is on that because you know I, I've said it before but I'll say it again you know as soon as that's you know that's that's worked out for me where I can read my my digital downloads right there in the little Star Trekky pad device then that's it I'm done you know 
No offense to my LCS, but I'm I'm done with buying new comics. That's it. I'll probably still continue to to scarf up the old back issues because I, I can't see ever truly being done with that. But I can I can see being just done with buying new books, and uh, I I could seriously see di- divesting myself of a large amount of just what basically amounts to fluff, you know, stuff I ro- don't really need. I've just kind of accumulated it, you know, through through habit. You know, and just calling myself down to the to the bare essentials, the things I really want to keep because, you know, of whatever sentimental value or, you know, that sort. You know, the stuff that, that I just couldn't do to part with. But man, there's there's so much of it that ultimately, yeah, it just needs to get the hell out of here. You know, <laughs> so yeah. And it's not helping the fact that because it is a buyer's market, I'm picking up crap that I left by the wayside over the past couple of years at like a dollar, two dollars an issue. Right. Um, which I still see as a bargain, but it's just like, really? Rain in hell for like a quarter apiece? Mm. Yeah, I'll pick that up. So, it's, it's stuff like that, and then, you know, there was, and I don't want to waste time on this, but there was a, yet another a yet another announcement the other day of, uh, of another new thing that's coming along um, in modern comics that to me is just an- you know it's just another another ringing of the death knell for for comics I, I'm just I'm sorry to be such a piss pot about this but just more and more often lately I, I think the writing's on the wall for funny books man I, I just I get a bad feeling I, I are just you think, talking about the Watchmen thing yeah I wasn't gonna say it but yeah yeah that, come on seriously I mean that just that's desperate <laughs> that's you might as well just tattoo I'm very desperate for readers on my forehead you know what I mean because I, I mean that's what it comes down to it's like Wow, you know this is this is your big save the comics plan. Is you're you're gonna you know you're gonna trot this you know trot this out. So yeah, that's that's all I'm gonna say on that. But I saw that and just had to laugh and laugh and laugh. I was like, yeah, the new DC, we're doing so great. Oh, by the way, yeah, we better do something with Watchmen to try to get some people back in because they're you know my uh, my initial thought was I was half past give a shit. Um, <laughs> which if you do write you can say sing to the to the tune of i'm not that innocent from from that britney spears song but uh, <laughs> but no but that, that was my first and then i i, I you know I, I started discussing it on facebook which i rarely do or i try not to just because because for some reason and, it, and it's really slacked off lately which i'm kind of happy about but there was a time where i would just make some kind of innocuous comment on facebook about comic books and suddenly i check an hour later and there's like 57 replies Mm -hmm. it's just like jesus what the hell so um i made a comment and started discussing it with a couple people a couple friends of ours as a matter of fact and i slowly got to the point where i was like annoyed that they were doing it because it's just not necessary uh, it, it, it doesn't make any sense to do this. And maybe we should hold this off for Comics Monthly Monday. Because uh, it probably is a conversation that better... Well, I mean, uh, yes and no. But, I mean, to me, I, I you know, I honestly don't have that much to say about it beyond the fact of, you know, it, it comes down to this. I mean, years ago, we all used to acknowledge that, that there were... I forget how many it was, but say five, just for simple, you know, conversation... 
that there were basically five untouchable characters in comics. And it was something along the lines of Gwen Stacy, Ben Parker, um, Bucky, Bucky Barnes. Yeah. And that to me was the same sort of measuring stick for the desperation of the market as there were also there were untouchable franchises ones that when they finally got around to doing a sequel prequel continuation of some kind if they if they ever touched this property again that was your your watermark of desperation for the industry and the two sacred cows that were on that list were Dark Knight and Watchmen. And here we go. They're trotting them both out, you know, and it's like, okay, that this this means officially they're they're hurting. They are really in dire straits. And that, you know, I that's just my opinion, but that that's pretty much it in a nutshell is that when they when they did that when they made that announcement, that to me was just like, mhm. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, you can you can say all you want about how awesome the new Fifty Two is, but uh, yeah, when they're uh, making sequels and prequels to Watchmen, then yeah, something's broke. Well, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I can do this really quick. My my first post apathetic thought was, wow, they really are hurting because they're not having a big event this summer that they can spin off into 50 miniseries because they <laughs> said they weren't going to do that so they got to do that with this right my my second but and and, and the the line of argument that i that i defended the most is that it's not necessary watchmen is not a property that should exist beyond its story like, those 12 issues and the movie, to a certain extent. But those 12 issues are it. Everything you need about that story and that world is in those 12 issues. If I want to read about Night Owl and Rorschach, like, fighting crime before the Keen Act was passed, I'll go dig out some Question and Blue Beetle books. Yep. Because yep. that's basically who they are. Mm-hmm. So to me, there, there's just not much of a point to it. It just, it seems like, and and Brian Azzarello, who I who I don't like as a writer, and not just because of the horrible run on Superman he did, but for some other things that he did that I just didn't care for, uh, including First Wave. Um, basically came out and said, well, you know, people are going to be like, why are they doing it? They're going to read the stories and go, oh, that's why they're doing it, and I'm like. That almost makes me want to read it, but I'm staying very, very far away from this. Because to me, this has been... They made this huge announcement that they're doing this. And when it's all said and done, it's going to be relegated to hardcovers and then forgotten. You know, it's... It, it, it's going to be kind of like... To a lesser extent... Uh, this to a lesser extent, not the Watchmen thing. Uh, that Seven Soldiers thing that Grant Morrison did back in like 2004... Mm-hmm. where it was this big thing like hey Grant Morrison's doing this thing with all these characters and the story came out and it was well received but now it just doesn't seem to have gone anywhere beyond that I mean so you know the, char- the characters like Zatanna obviously is still around and the Frankenstein that came out of that is still a character uh, that had some how do I want to say this What's that word? God, I hate it when I'm in the middle of a thought and I just blank. You know, he had some legs. Right. Because he appeared in other books. But 
you know, I just don't see where, outside of just making money off of the name Watchmen, where any of this can really, really go. Mm-hmm. So, but we're not here to talk about the Watchmen. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently Scott doesn't like it all that much. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I'm not horribly enamored. I mean, you know, eh. But it's just, it, it comes down to, I, I think they just need to print some money. You know what I mean? I, I think that's ultimately what it what it's all about, is that they just, they need a serious cash injection. And, you know, you can open the, the cover to, you know, the, the new Watchmen book, and it's brigade reprints, and it's still going to sell a zillion copies, because it's got Watchmen on the cover, you know? <laughs> I would pay money like good money <laughs> to see a bunch of like hardcore Watchmen fans open it up and it's brigade number one yep I would laugh and laugh and laugh so but this week we are continuing <laughs> our look at all-star squadron this will be you know <laughs> last week we did that whole mea culpa about uh, the fact that you know, we're like, yeah, next week, you know, we're going to do Infinity Incorporated. Then it's going to be two books a week from then on. And then we're like, oh, wait, no. No. Because there was no, yeah, there was no Infinity Incorporated this month. So I um, I think we're going to have to do that again, sir. <laughs> because we have an annual to cover soon. Oh, do we? Yes. There is a... All-Star Annual, All-Star Squadron Annual number three. When Which does... I have filed. I guess it comes out after issue thirty-four. Yeah, I know that's coming. Yeah, I know it's coming up, but I couldn't remember so, what. Is it after thirty-four? Oh yeah, 35. you're right. Yeah. Oh, thirty-five. Okay. Yeah, so, I'm looking here in the the guy or the uh, companion. So I guess there will be an episode coming up, folks, where it will just be um, where it will just be All Star Squadron again. But mo- for the most part, it's going to be All Star Infinity. Well, I mean, I, d- I don't think we ever said that you know we were going to you know skip the annuals or anything like that. We'll also have the uh, America versus the JSA when we get oh. to that. I'm I'm not sure how we're going to do. That. I know we originally said we'd probably do that as a as a one shot episode, but I'm I'm not sure if that's still the plan or I don't know we're just kind of winging things at this point we sort of have a plan and we're sort of winging it at the same time so it works out either way but yeah to give you the skinny on all-star squadron number 32 I turn it over to boo (laughs) come on Okay, she didn't read the book. Scott, can you can you cover for her? Please? I got this. Okay, good. All right, so we got All-Star Squadron number 32. This is the April 1984 issue cover on this by Jerry Ordway. And I really like this cover. It's uh, Green Lantern is using his power ring. Uh, it's, it, I guess, is he recreating this scene or spying in on Earth? I got it Earth? that he's spying in on oh, okay. Scene. So he's spying in on the scene here, and you've got uh, Uncle Sam looking so sad, and he's kneeling over the dead bodies of his uh, of his teammates, who uh, we're going to learn the fate of in in this very issue. But it's a really nice cover; it's a very dynamic cover. I like this. I like how the uh, 
the all stars are are darkened in the top half of the cover as they they're all have these horrified expressions on their faces as they're looking at this sad sad scene of death on Earth X as the uh, the cover tells us. Ah, that's cool though. I think it's very dynamic. All right, so um, original cover price on this was seventy five cents. Roy Thomas, who's the writer editor, and Rick Hoberg, artist in residence. Extend a hearty handshake to Bill Collins, Inker Nouveau, for this issue. And we've got uh, Gene D'Angelo, colorist. Albert de Guzman and Cody Sunchild are the letterers. And the story, that never gets old, by the way. No, story entitled Crisis on Earth X, the prequel. So in the wee first hours of Monday. the prequel was last issue. You know what? You're you now that you say that. Or no, was that the end? Was that ah? You know, I'm I'm trying to remember. You know what? I actually have my notes for last issue. Let's look back on that and see. Give me one moment. I'll be able to tell you what was it? No, Uncle Sam wants you was the was the name of last issue. Because the the next issue tease at the end of last issue was Crisis on Earth. I, Crisis on Earth X, the prologue, or how the Freedom Fighters got their start. But they dropped that for some reason in this one. It's just now it's just Crisis on Earth X, the the prequel. So uh, in the wee first hours of Monday, February 23rd, 1942, almost 70 years ago in real time. That's pretty cool. On the world we know as Earth 2. A virtual who's who of the costumed vigilante community has assembled in the Parisphere on the former New York World's Fairgrounds. This gathering of masked heroes and heroines is very nearly the full roster of the All-Star Squadron, and we find them still stunned by last issue's exciting cliffhanger ending. If you'll recall, the hero known as Midnight, harried and pursued by Nazi soldiers and carrying a mysterious box, finally made it to the Perisphere where, worn and bedraggled, he collapsed. Phantom Lady scooped up the box and found inside it the tiny body of the diminutive crime fighter, the Doll Man. And as this issue begins, she announces that he appears to be dying. While Midnight's wounds are tended to, and the heroes ponder the strange events of this very unpredictable evening, Green Lantern bathes Dollman in the light of his power ring, which actually seems to help. Uncle Sam, still trying to get a, a fair hearing of his case from the All-Stars, submits to Wonder Woman's lasso of truth to try to prove his fantastic story that he really had been to another Earth, an Earth without mystery men, an Earth where the Axis are winning the war. Despite having had a vision of the future of Earth 2 in which he foresaw the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, Sam instead assembled his own team of freedom fighters to travel to this other Earth to try to even up the odds, and trusting that the remaining heroes of Earth 2 could deal with any threat that might come along. Sam pulled together a team consisting of Miss America, the Red Torpedo, Neon the Unknown, the Invisible Hood, Magno the Magnetic Man, And after some serious coaxing, which even included some fisticuffs between the two, Rex TikTok Tyler, the Hour Man. 
Together, the tiny band traveled to Earth X and immediately found themselves somewhere over the Pacific Ocean and in the midst of a squadron of Japanese Zeros. The heroes tore into the enemy planes and were really giving them hell when one of the pilots quite literally pulled a kamikaze maneuver that seemingly at least killed everyone except Uncle Sam. Clinging to floating debris, Sam drifted for days before finally washing up on a Hawaiian beach where he was found by some U.S. soldiers. Sam tried to warn the GIs of the impending attack, but he was quickly subdued and labeled a crank. Locked up, haunted, and racked with guilt over the deaths of his teammates, Sam's only consolation came when he realized, upon finally summoning the willpower to return to Earth 2, that he and his dead friends had very likely prevented Pearl Harbor from happening on that other Earth. Here and now in the present, however, Sam has come, uh, become concerned once again that a more recent vision is about to come true, that a fleet of Japanese carriers and destroyers is headed for America's west coast. All patched up and feeling much better, Midnight comes forward to tell his tale and to corroborate corroborate to corroborate Sam's story. Likewise compelled to speak the truth by Wonder Woman's lasso, Midnight tells of having tracked Sam to Rex Hourman Tyler's lab to see what Sam was up to. There, Midnight ran into Doll Man, who'd also been looking for Uncle Sam, and the two teamed up, arriving in Tyler's lab just in time to see Sam and the Freedom Fighters doing their dimension-hopping fade-out thing. Leading, uh, leaping rather into the mysterious red, white, and blue swirl, Midnight and Dollman were likewise pulled to that strange other world where, through a series of events, they wound up becoming the allies of some resistance fighters in, of all places, the Nazi-occupied France of Earth-X. One night, Midnight and friends received word that the Nazis had learned that the Japanese were planning to at- uh, launch an attack against the United States. Lacking specific details about the attack, Dollman, Midnight, and some pals staged a daring raid on the Nazi headquarters, but no one had bargained for coming face-to-face with Baron Blitzkrieg. Yes. Yeah, I love that guy. Their French companion was killed and Dollman gravely injured by uh, Blitzkrieg's death ray vision. Midnight grabbed up his new pal and fled uh, back through a very convenient vortex back to Earth 2. And that brings us back to where uh, we had met him last issue when he was being pursued by Nazis through the streets of New York. You'll remember that we wondered, you know, where did these full-fledged, you know, full-uniform Nazi guys come from? Well, now we know. They were from Earth-X. Plus, Midnight does comment that he did stop to help the passengers of that derailed L train. That was the other mystery that we had. So I'm feeling a lot better about this guy now. <laughs> I've decided to go ahead and give him his hero card back. So, <laughs> so all, all uh, backstories accounted for. Doll Man recovers just in time to spill the beans on the conversation that he overheard at the Nazi headquarters on Earth 2 before things went all kablooey. Uh, you know, regarding that rumored sneak attack. But can you believe this? After all this poor little guy has gone through, he's denied his one big moment when he's cut off by Robot Man's radio 
that starts spouting about mysterious attacks of uh, Axis sabotage in key cities all across the country. Do, do, For, do you want it? What? Do, do, do you want me to do it? Oh, go ahead. Meanwhile, cities in which mysterious acts of Axis sabotage occurred tonight are Keystone City, Metropolis, Gotham City, New York, and Santa Barbara, California. Virtual epidemic all in the eastern U.S. except for that still unexplained incident off the California coast, where a Coast Guard cutter was failed to report back while investigating a reported enemy sub sighting. <laughs> That's very good. I still say it sounds like everything should end with uh, sometimes dead is better when you use that voice. <laughs> so after a quick consult with uh, Hawkman, because, you know, what a friggin' crime it would be if he didn't get FaceTime every single issue, right? Liberty Bell asked for a volunteer task force to head to Earth X while the rest of the heroes split up to take on this uh, spate of new attacks right here at home. So soon, mystery men and women are pouring out of the perisphere, streaking, flying, leaping, running, and power ringing off in every direction to rush to the defense of their country. Inside, the Spectre uses his formidable powers to project Uncle Sam, the Black Condor, the Ray, the Human Bomb, Doll Man, the Red Bee, and Phantom Lady to that other Earth. And while he himself is blocked from joining them, the Spectre does manage to ensure that the Freedom Fighters are, uh, indeed arrive on the west coast of Earth X's United States, just as the Japanese attack begins. Next issue, The Battle of Santa Barbara, Times 2. And we do have a few notes from the uh, All-Star Companion, Volume 2 here. Let's see. It says, number 32... Begins a series of issues inked by Bill Collins, formerly an art assistant to Dick Giordano. Writer-editor Roy Thomas uh, became quite partial to his quote-unquote mechanical approach to embellishing. Uh, Let's see what else here we've got. Okay, that's regarding a specific picture, which you guys can't see, so I'm going to skip that one. It says, in this version of the World War II history of Earth X, the United States remained neutral uh, in December 1941 because the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor was called off. And in Uncle Sam's words, America went on straddling the fence and the Axis gobbled up even more of Europe and Asia, with Japan itself spending the next two plus months preparing for an attack on the U.S. West Coast. So that means essentially that Sam and his people created the very situation that they were going there to try to do yeah. something about, right? That, that was actually one of my notes. Oh, okay. All right. Um, oddly enough. Okay. Uh, it just occurred to me, actually, thinking about that. Um, Dollman makes a reference in passing to Ish Kabibble, the stage name of a horn player, novelty singer, and comedic foil in Kay Kaiser's big band from 1938 to 50, while Midnight's joke about Mr. Motto, hero of the 1930s novels by John P. Marquand, uh, in which a secret agent of Imperial Japan is a hero. Some of these tales were made into Hollywood movies starting, uh, starring rather Peter, Peter Lorre 
before tensions in the Pacific had reached the boiling point. Now, Ish Kabibble, I had heard of, but I honestly didn't know what it was. I Yeah, neither did I. I always thought it was a like a pig Latin like magic word or something, you know, like Shazam, you know what I mean? I had no idea it was somebody's name. Um, let's see here. As noted in a later letters page, Midnight couldn't have known about Blair, Baron Blitzkrieg from accounts of, of his attack on Churchill in number seven, since he and Dahlman were on Earth X by that time. Roy Thomas's proofreading note regarding that caption had been missed by DC's production crew. Don Thompson, co-editor of the Comic Buyer's Guide, later pointed out that the term sci-fi in number 32 is an anachronism, having been coined by famous Monsters of Filmland editor Forrest J. Ackerman in 1957. Roy Thomas regretted not using instead the truly awful word scientific fiction coined by... I like that. Yeah, I do too. Uh, coined by Amazing Stories editor Hugo Gernsback, uh, who the robot's named after now, uh, circa 1930. Uh, one, of the, one of the first places I heard that, and, and this shows how much I don't pay attention to science fiction fandom, was in that Tom DeHaven novel, It's Superman, that came out in 2006. Right. Where Clark talks, where it talks at one point about Clark writing for the science fiction, and I'm like, that is a great term. I'm I trying to remember that. where I, I've heard that used before, but here fairly recently, I've heard that used, and I cannot remember for the life of me where I want to say that it was in the Captain America movie, but I, I think I'm wrong. I think it was something other than that, but I, I, I honestly can't remember. But uh, I, I have seen it recently somewhere or, or heard it but yeah i like that term a lot too i think that's really cool um and then there's a thing here that basically tells you hey did you know that kamikaze means whatever it means and i was like yeah i pretty much knew that so man, that was about <laughs> it for uh for notes so what do you got on this one mike um one i really like the cover it's ordway so i'm i'm kind of at this point, it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction to like the cover. And Sam does look very, very upset. Um, He's sad. He looks like a sad Colonel Sanders in that picture. <laughs> Did Colonel Sanders ever really look happy? I mean, seriously. Well, this is true, yeah, you know, now that you say that. Um, the art in this issue was good. I enjoyed it, but it also looked stiff. In a lot of places. Uh, and I'll get to some specific examples of that. I did like the splash page of all the characters standing around. Uh, <laughs> Black Condor kind of looks like I'm trying for Superman's hairstyle and failing. Uh, but uh, I continue to like Liberty Bell's new costume. On the splash page of pages two and three. And this happens a couple of times in the issue. Look at Superman standing there and tell me that uh, Hoberg and Collins didn't ape Jose Luis Garcia Lopez for the way Superman is. That is exactly a... On page three? Yeah. I'm actually thinking uh, Neil Adams right there. That was my note. Was that the, I, I thought that was I a very hunt, Neil... Uh, at some point, I will hunt up the picture that I'm thinking of that Lopez drew. That looks that he's standing there exactly like that with the fist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like kind of like uh, 
coming up a little bit. And the Spectre on page two has a Batman thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, this isn't a complaint because I like the way Superman looks, but there is another uh, point in this issue where it's like, wow, you're really swiping a Garcia Lopez pose with that. But I'll get to that as I get to the notes. Um, I think everybody in the room wants to be tied up by Wonder Woman. <laughs> Tie me up next. I, I just... Uh... Uh, page, I mean, uh, isn't that kind of how it works in the issue, though? It's like, okay, Wonder Woman, I'm done. Tie tie him up next. Yeah, yeah, tie me up now. <laughs> um, page four, once again, we are reminded of the fact that they don't remember how the All-Star Squadron got mm-hmm. together, but mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> page five, we get a really cool I Want You pose from, from uh, Uncle Sam. Though... I didn't notice it at first, but in that first panel where we see Rex Tyler on page five, it's obvious he's wearing his costume underneath the lab coat. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's just like, wow, he's got a David Banner look going on here to me. But uh, the fight between them on page six is really, really stiff. I uh, I was a little disappointed in that, but uh, it was good to see Our Man because I like I think I think we talked about this last time. I really like Our Man. Me too. So uh, we uh, we get the name Freedom Fighters on page seven, the retcon of how that happened, and, and yeah, page eight. Um, you guys attacked the Japanese. They weren't going to bomb America. Good going, guys. Way to <laughs> way to draw the fire there. Um, Page 12, the panel... Uh, well, th- this whole flashback scene of Uncle Sam in captivity is hilarious. The The third panel on page 12, where all the headlines are surrounding his shocked head, and then we get the ultimate Stan Lee-ism in that fourth panel of him sitting there in the cell while the ghosts of the Freedom Fighters like taunt him. You killed us, Uncle Sam! You killed us! Killed us! Killed us! <laughs> it's almost silly, but it doesn't quite reach that yet. So I was kind of glad with that. Um, page 14. Why do they keep walking into the melted remains of those, like, um, you know, like Fourth of July pops? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right. <yeah>. Rocket <laughs> pops, my wife just says. So. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. Page 16, I'm really glad to see him, but I think we could have had a more epic shot of Baron Blitzkrieg being introduced in this story. Uh, He looks good, though, especially that bottom panel. Um, But I'm really happy to see him again, because as we've mentioned in the past, we love Baron Blitzkrieg. Page 18, second panel. That is a Lopez Superman flying shot, uh, which is the position that Blitzkrieg's in. Mm-hmm. I again, I could track. I could probably track it down. Um, I don't know if it's an homage or or what. I'm kind of trying to figure out why they would so blatantly copy it. It has to be on purpose, like they're doing it to say, "Hey, we really like Lopez's art," because I'd hate to think that the artists were just ripping him off like Rob Liefeld would later do. (laughs) So, um, continuing into the issue, I, 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 
was really looking forward and I'm glad I got to do it to doing the uh the the radio announcer voice because <laughs> somebody has actually asked me to do that for one of their shows. I'm I'm kind of excited. Um Um I like I like the fact that all of the characters that went with Uncle Sam end up in the Freedom Fighters, but this is going to sound kind of weird. To me, I think it might have been a little less obvious to have to mix it up a little more. Right, right. And find another way to get, like, you know, have have most of the Freedom Fighters go with Uncle Sam, but also a couple of the regular All-Stars. And then eventually the rest of the Freedom Fighters end up traveling to Earth-X with you know, the backup basically. And they're the ones who decide to stay instead of, okay, who's going to go with us? Black Condor, Phantom Lady, Human Bomb, the Ray. Yeah. You, you all end up on the team. So congratulations. I I really thought that, that they might, you know, that Thomas might do that too, seeing as how the initial team had our man on it. I, I thought he might take at least one, you know, take somebody obscure, take like the jester or somebody, and, you know, somewhere in the course of this story, he gets kneecapped or whatever. And, and <laughs> so he can't be on the team anymore. And then it all meshes up with the later stories. But, you know, at least throw somebody in to throw us off a little bit. You know, don't give us the actual freedom fighters as they would, you know, later be. I, I was a little bit disappointed in that as well. So um, overall, I enjoyed this issue because I really like this storyline. It's just the art being kind of stiff in places and, you know, the how they they introduce the Freedom Fighters being a little on the nose kind of detracted a little bit, but not to the point where I hate the issue, you know? Um, I don't know if you've ever been like that with a book where you're like, wow, I really like that, but here are my nitpicks. Oh, so, <laughs> every episode. Well, <laughs> I mean, okay, that was a dumb question to ask you. No, but it was cool. I I, I liked it. I, I liked the um, the letters page giving us the first appearance of all of the all stars from last issue. Right. Uh, that was. Uh, but I'm a geek for that kind of thing. I, mm-hmm. I really love that because not only do they give you the the you know the the issue number, but also the cover date, which I'm also kind of geeky for. So, and there's a there's an image of the second. Uh, the cover to the second issue of um, of Infinity Incorporated, which we'll be covering next week. Sweet, which I'm looking forward to. But that's pretty much all I got. I, I just I liked the issue, and I and I had my little nitpicks, but overall, I really didn't have all that much to say about it. Cool. Well, let's see. I, I I'll start with the cover. I like the cover. Um, do we have to see Hawkman? Every single cover, though, I'm getting a little tired of that. I mean, especially Thomas's favorite, so probably. well, I know, but I mean, it, it's especially galling to me because not only is he sporting his especially goofy looking mask, but you get to see his nipples and not Phantom Ladies. It's just not fair somehow, you know. It's <laughs> I don't like that. I do notice that uh, Miss uh, America seems especially big boned on this cover too. I'm not sure what's up with that. She is kind of tall and thick, isn't she? Yeah, something weird's going on there. Her head, I was going to say her head's in a weird position, but then again, she's supposed to be dead. So, I mean, the but head... her eyes seem open. It's yeah, so creepy. It is very creepy. It is very, very creepy. 
Uh, let's see what else we got here. I love the splash page or, or you know, semi-splash page, I guess you would say, because it, it does have side panels. But this sort of semi-double splash page of all the heroes on pages two and three, um, it's weird because I both really, really like how Superman and Batman look in that panel. I think they look fantastic, especially Superman looks really, really cool. But at the same rate, I think they look a bit uh, anachronistic as well because they do look very much like like seventies versions of of the characters to me, yeah. Because that Superman looks to me, uh, it looks a lot like uh, a Neil Adams, and the Batman looks like a like a mix of Neil Adams and uh, and uh, Marshall Rogers. So it's it's a little bit weird, but uh, I, I still think it's really good, and I I love the inking on Gernsback. He looks really cool right there. I think that's really, it's, it's a nice panel, but, uh, you know, you said, uh, that, uh, the art's stiff in a lot of places. I, I will completely agree with you on that. See, I like this a lot. I, I liked both the story. I liked the issue and I really like the art because I like, uh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'll admit I'm a Holberg fan. I like Holberg's work quite a bit. So I'm not sure where the stiffness is coming from. I'm not sure if it's coming from him or if it's coming from the inker. I tend to think it's probably coming from Hoberg because I think this is still early Hoberg at this point. But uh, I like this inker, uh, you know, especially on on page two. I really like the inking around the bottom of the panel where uh, Doc Midnight is working on the character Midnight and and patching him up. That's uh, just really nicely inked in that sequence. Um, what else do we got? The uh, quote for this issue is the beginning of the the famous uh, FDR speech where he says, "Yesterday, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, a date that will live in infamy." And I'm just thinking, love that quote. What the hell does it have to do with this issue? Um, they talk about Pearl Harbor. Yeah, but I mean that's what the book is about. You know what I mean? I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> All-Star Squadron is a series. It, it just seems a little funny that in the 32nd issue, that's where they use this quote. You know, it, it just seems a little bit odd it, to me. It didn't seem appropriate till now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, page four, that last panel, very, very buckler. I, I like that. I think it looks very nice. I mean, it might be honestly. Now that you you know you made me think about that, it might be a outright ripped right off from one of those issues. I hadn't thought about that till this moment, but uh, one way or the other, it's very Bucklerish, and uh, I think that's very cool. I like that a lot. Um, page five. There's a reference here to. Um, oh, where does he say it? Oh, here it is. It's uh, the second panel. Uncle Sam is talking about, you know, he had his little vision of what was going to happen and everything, the the whole thing with EarthX. And so he decided to assemble heroes and he got all those obscure characters nobody's ever heard of. And then he decides to go after Rex Tyler. And he says, still, I knew I needed at least one mystery man with some time under his collar. So since it's not too hard for Uncle Sam to puzzle out 
uh, who a masked hero really is. I popped up one summer night at the New York blah, 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 and he goes on and on. I think that this Uncle Sam power to sniff out who heroes really are is very, very cool and needs explaining. <laughs> you know, I mean, it never, I mean, that's kind of like a Santa Claus gig, isn't it? You know, like, yeah, I, I have the power to know if they're naughty or nice. Well, he's got the the power to know if they're a superhero or not, or if they are and who they are. I, I'd like that explained. I, I, how does he know that? And it's, I mean, maybe it'll come up later, but in, in this issue anyway, it, it's not, it's kind of just drop and, and, you know, there it is. And we're, we don't get anything more of it, but I think that's cool. Uh, let's see. Page eight. Let's see here. Page eight, third. Oh yeah. This is the, uh, the sequence where the freedom fighters pop into earth X and then they immediately lay into the, uh, the Japanese, uh, squadron fire squadron i just like this panel it's it's awesome everybody's doing something uh well except for uh who the hell is that is that the red bee or no that's red torpedo everybody's doing something except the red torpedo because he doesn't have any powers or anything and then that's when miss america um quite literally creates a, a an exact duplicate of his torpedo ship out of thin air. Yeah. Um, a little weird. I hate to be this way about it, but that's the kind of thing that gives comics a bad name. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to say it that way, but that's pretty much how I feel about it. I I, I love, I know that's a fair statement though. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love comic books. I really do. But sometimes, you know, less is better when you get, too comic booky, yeah. That's when you get into that that area of okay, we're 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 you know we're we're losing our street cred here, and then that was the, the definite moment in this issue where she she literally creates you know an exact duplicate of his submarine out of nothing. I mean, she doesn't even have to like look at a set of blueprints or anything. She can just whip this thing out of you know her her mind or whatever. It's just goofy. It's really really goofy. I got a kick out of uh, page thirteen. There was a couple of different panels here uh, with Wonder Woman. Where oh, where is it said? I'm not seeing the there's two there's actually two references I'm missing where the first one is said, but oh here it is it's the last two panels on page thirteen where um, midnight says better make with the lie detector Larry at Wonder Woman and and he wants her he wants her to wrap him up with the the lasso so he can tell his story and they know he's telling the truth in the very next panel she says hmm she says I'm, I'm starting to feel like a walking polygraph but and then she puts the lasso around him. I just think that's funny. I don't know if it was intentional or not as a, as an actual in joke, but the creator of Wonder Woman created the lie detector, and I just yeah, it was one of the people that worked on it. Yeah, I, I think that's very funny. I got a real kick out of that. Um, I don't really have specific notes about the rest of the issue beyond the fact of I will agree that the the art, as I say, the art is stiff. I, I will definitely agree about that, but I like it. I like it a lot. It does. Throughout the rest of the issue, I, I notice it's a little inconsistent. Some panels are inked really nicely, and then other panels are inked a little bit loosely, 
almost as if they're rushed or almost as if maybe there was uh, more than just Collins's hand at work here in some of the inking. It's a, it's a little hard to tell, but the, the further you go from about the midway point in the book, the, the more inconsistent the art seems to get, which is very odd. Because by the end of the book, it, it almost almost looks like a different art team to me on that last page. But it, it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly what the difference or where the difference is. I, I, it mostly comes down to the the pencils, I think. But something occurred to me as I was rereading this today in preparation for the episode. Now, I have not read ahead in this story. So I, I hope I'm not spoiling anything, but are we seeing the Baron Blitzkrieg of Earth X in this story? Or is I, this the same Baron Blitzkrieg that we, we saw in, in earlier issues? I don't remember. Because if it is the Baron Blitzkrieg of, of Earth X, then somebody screwed up because they seem to be treating him in this story as if he's the same Baron yeah. from before. And this occurred to me on the reread because just before he's introduced in this story, you know, Roy Thomas kind of goes out of his way to remind you of what earth you're on. And because it's I mean, there's so much world jumping in this. It would be easy to kind of lose your place of. All right. Where are we again? You know. So I went back and I made sure of that, that at the point where Baron Blitzkrieg pops up, I was like, no, wait a minute. Are they on Earth X? And I went back and I looked and sure enough, yeah, Midnight and Dollman, they go, they follow Sam and the others through the vortex, but they don't wind up in the same place. They wind up in, in Paris. That's uh, not Nazi occupied. And then that's when we meet Baron Blitzkrieg. And he and his his people pursue Midnight and Dollman, and then that's when we see Dollman, or excuse me, Midnight rather, go back through the vortex and wind up back on Earth too. So, unless Blitzkrieg is also switching Earths, which you know that may very well be revealed next issue. Like I say, I haven't read ahead. You know, then he's actually not the same Baron. There's there's two of these guys, which that would be very strange. Come to think of it, because if this is a world without heroes, then why are there villains there? You know, that's you know, even Earth X or excuse me, Earth Three. You know, had heroes, even though it was the one where you know, like the Justice League were were evil. At least there was one superhero to stand up against them. Earth X is screwed if they've got Baron Blitzkrieg, but no heroes to battle. <laughs> yes. we'll, uh, we'll see how things develop with that. I, that's probably how it ends up being developed down the line, is that he's also world jumping. If that is the case, I'll be very curious to see how they how they explain that. You know, Has he been doing this prior to Uncle Sam, you know, discovering, you know, quote-unquote discovering Earth X or in conjunction or is he responsible? There's a lot of unanswered questions and I'm curious uh, where we'll get to in this, but that's pretty much all I got on this. I like it. I I like where this story is going a lot. I, you know, some of my favorite characters are, are uh, participating in this particular story. So I'm getting a kick out of it. I I like where it's going. I'm curious where it goes. And uh, I know uh, 
without spoiling it, I will say that I know that we're going to get some more uh, Baron Blitzkrieg action down the road, and I'm really looking forward to that because I like that guy. He's cool. Some hot Nazi on Nazi action. (laughs) (laughs) Guaranteed to make you just not care. (laughs) Just not care. Alrighty, ads this time out. We've got a, we've got some good ads, I think. Uh, on the inside cover, we have Joust from Atari, which makes the game look a lot more interesting than it was. You know what? You're not going to believe this, but just fairly recently, I was playing Joust in an arcade. Can you believe that? Yes. You work <laughs> at Disney. They got some yeah. arcade. So. Um, it's cool. It is a good game. We have a Masters of the Universe ad, and I forgot that it had a really cool catchphrase where science ends, magic begins. And there you have He Man fighting Skeletor, you have Tila, you have Man at Arms on Battlecat, Stratos, Zodiac, Merman. Oh, I finally got to see the, uh, the Aquaman Merman two pack. Oh, cool. And the Hawkman Stratos 2-pack, Beastman and Skeletor. I'm wondering if this is early enough in Masters of the Universe that that is not Tila, but the Sorceress. Because originally she was supposed to be the Sorceress, and then they changed a bunch of stuff. So, Who's that artist? It it looks kind of like... uh, I have no idea. um, It's not a signature. I had it, now I've lost... Maybe Ross Andrew? A little bit. It's possible. It's very comic book, uh, comic book uh, style. Um, we got a grit ad in 1984. <laughs> Did you say money, prizes, hookers, <laughs> blow? Uh, Eric the Sorcerer, Eric the Dead by Roy Thomas and Ron Randall at the bottom of that page. The new DC. There's no stopping us now, so don't even try. Uh, nowadays, that would sound more like a threat. <laughs> but that's 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 too pithy for. I would say, <laughs> the new DC. We're not listening to you at all. Oh, uh, they'll enter the lost world of the Warlord with Remco toys. Is it me, or does Hercules look like he's wearing a rope and some tidy whities and that's it? <laughs> I don't know. Just, just, I got a up. rope. <laughs> I got I got a rope. Uh, I got a meanwhile column, which is always awesome. We have Joe Kubert drawing Ed McMahon. What the hell? Where is this? I have not found. Oh, the that's a- oh yeah, yeah, that's not pretty. <laughs> that's funny as hell. You've got a Jimmy Olsen dying of boredom and depression in that third <laughs> panel, though. I kind of like that one. Well, we got Forrest Gump behind him in the wheelchair, so. <laughs> <laughs> that works out nicely. Well, that must be Lieutenant Dan. There next Lieutenant to Dan. Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan. Got new legs, Lieutenant Dan. I um, when I first moved to Georgia, my my the first job I got was at Walmart, and I worked with I worked in the sporting goods section because they obviously had no idea who I was. And uh, the guy I worked with was it was a dude named Bruce, and he talked exactly like Gary Sinise <laughs> in that movie, so I would call him Lieutenant Dan. We've got an Olympic ad with Captain O, who's going to show you his O face. <laughs> I was just going to say Captain O face. 
Um, the great monogram one twenty fourth scale car giveaway where you have a Miller time because that's what you want in a kids comic beer commercials. So, and on the back, an ad for the Masters of the Universe video game, which I never played, but looks looks like just about every other Atari game from the <laughs> era. So, not really going to say too much on that. The screen in the the screen in the foreground reminds me a lot of a game called Phoenix for the Atari. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Uh, and that's pretty much it for the ads, unless you had any any witty commentary to throw in there. Nah, only half witty. Half witty. We are half witty. <laughs> um, do you need the link to Mike's Amazing World? No, I've got it. Okay, very good. I was looking at the picture that you sent me, though, and you're you know you're right. I, the the listeners, sadly, they can't see this, but you're absolutely right. That pose of uh, of Garcia Lopez of super yeah. yeah that yep that's pretty much it. All right, that's such an awesome picture too that I found. I like the uh, the first head up from the the bottom. Yeah, right there. It's, he's that's his. Uh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, how you? Do- I am looking right through your dress right now. Oh, it shouldn't be funny, but it is. I like pink uh, very much, Lois. <laughs> that could be that's that's such a wrong saying nowadays <laughs> when you think about it. Uh, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. We have Action Comics number five fifty four, which has Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster on the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have yet to read that story, but I'm looking forward to when I finally do. It's not one of Gil Kane's prettier covers, but I think a lot of it may have to do with the coloring on that one. We have Batman Special Number One. Yes, and yes, somewhere yes. right now, Andrew Andrew Leyland is saying the exact same thing. I got that. Uh, I got that autographed um, at uh, at MegaCon last year. I got it signed by uh, Michael Golden, and that was that was a thrill for me because that is one of my favorite batman stories it's it's awesome that i'd like to see adapted into one of those uh oh that would be awesome yeah the animated movies that would make a hell of a good uh, animated movie flash number 332 um which i think is part of the trial storyline and by the way did you know that that got put into a showcase presents really Trial. I found it at Books. I didn't buy it, but I but I saw it at Books a Million. Trial of the Flash. Wow, it's a thick damn book. Um, <laughs> I love that Firestorm cover with Firehawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like Firehawk a lot. So yeah. I really can't, can't say too much about that. We have Green Lantern fighting the shark. Such a goofy damn villain. I just read this issue. You know, after uh, after that one that we covered for uh, Crisis Management, um, it, it intrigued me enough that I wanted to continue. Plus, we're going to end up covering 176 and 178. So I, I kind of wanted to know, for one, how did he get out of that death trap? But then knowing, as I say, you know, that we're going to be covering the later issues, I thought, well, I have all these and I've never read most of them. So I thought I'd check them out. And uh, I like where this is going. It was actually really good because there was, yes. uh, uh, you know, Hal's back on Earth and everything, and he finds out about his best friend being, 
you know, up for on these murder charges and goes to meet him. And I, I liked that moment. But, you know, here's two characters I've never really liked, but it was done very well. It was a really nice moment between the two of them. I, I enjoyed that a lot. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm um, going to continue reading that for a while. That Len Wein, Dave Gibbons run of Green Lantern is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's it's the artwork is solid. The characters they used were solid. So yeah, I've got nothing but good things to say about that. We have a very pretty cover on Green Lantern Green Arrow number seven, done by Neil Adams. I like the Jonah Hex cover. That is a Jonah Hex cover. That's awesome. Uh, it's uh, Ed Hannigan and uh, Tony DiZaniga. Now, that's how you do a, a Jonah Hex cover right there, because somebody's about to have a really bad day. I like that cover a lot. Well, I just love the fact that the bottle is making his eye look so much bigger right. than it is. It's just, it's, it's so great. And yeah, he's about to shoot somebody <laughs> dead. And I think that's what I like about Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex, to me, in my limited reading of it, so I'm, not, I'm by no means claiming to be an expert... But the one thing that I've come to love about the character is that if somebody needs shooting, yep. Jonah's going to shoot him. Yep. And that's awesome. That's why I always liked that episode of, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact name of it, something like the Once in Future King thing. or Thing. That was it, yeah. And Justice League, There, there's a moment in that that, to me, totally, completely summed up the character of, of Jonah in a way that, you know, other writers have spent, you know, thousands of words trying to sum him up. And it was a very simple scene where one of the, the Justice League guys said, you know, so what are we going to do about whatever the, the bad guy's name was? And Jonah said, what are we going to do? We're going to go put him in the ground. And it was as simple as that. And, and that, that to me was like, duh, Jonah Hex. I loved it because yeah, it's, it, to him, it was that simple. We're just going to go kill him. I loved it. Well, you know, in his world, mm-hmm. you know, we, yes, there are parts of this country that are uncivilized. I, I realize that. And even when you get into the more urbane and supposedly civilized areas, there's still acts of depravity. But what in in learning about the old West and watching you know documentaries on it and watching films, which you know are to a point realistic, um, it just seemed to me like it's a period of time where when you were out there, there was no nine one one to call, right? <laughs> you know, and if something had to get done, something had to get done, and if somebody had to get put in the, the did you ever see Lonesome Dove? No. It's a miniseries that came on CBS like in 1990 or so. It had Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones and Robert Urich and, you know, just all-star cast. Diane Lane, Rick Schroeder. Um, There's a character Robert Urich plays named Jake Spoon that falls back, that used to ride with Tommy Lee Jones and Robert Duvall when they were Texas Rangers. And now they're just going on a cattle run and he falls in with some horse thieves and they catch him and they hang their friend and they hang their friend because he ran with horse thieves. Right. You know, you chose your lot in life. It's that freaking simple. It's it's very black and white. And that's what I like when I read a Jonah Hex story is that, 
you know, he's not in it to be altruistic. He's in it because at that, that at that moment in that specific time frame that he's in, this is the guy that needs to get shot. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that's that's no, no, that's from that's what appeals to me about that character is that you know, in a in a lot of ways. He, uh, in his purest form, I, I think he he's right up there with somebody like uh, like Mister A. You know, yeah. There's black and there's white and there's nothing in between. And I, I, that's what I like about that character. He doesn't get bogged down with with moral grays. You know, he sees the situation, he makes a judgment, and all right, you've got to die. You know, and he does his best to to make sure that happens. I. There's something that really appeals to me about the simplicity or sometimes the um, uh, deceptive nature of it. You know, something that will appear to be really simple like that, but it actually has levels within that simplistic outline. You know what I yeah. mean? No, definitely. And, and And the thing about Hex, again, to me, is that that black and white shifts – Mm-hmm. It's not constant. It's right. it's on a it's on a very case by case basis. He might walk past a woman begging for his help because at that moment it doesn't suit what he needs to get done, or it might get him to the point where he needs to, like okay, JLA Trail of Time that novel mm-hmm. has a great example of that. He's riding after some men that burned down the home of and killed this one rancher and they kidnapped his daughter uh when they killed him and 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 took her with them now he's not going after her to save her because she's 19 years old and has been kidnapped by a bunch of roughnecks he's going after them because they stole this guy's money and that guy owed him 200 (laughs) dollars. and i'm like that's awesome Mm mm-hmm so and there's a really there's a really great interaction between her and him after she's after he kills everybody. Well, see a lot sometimes too. The, a lot of the commentary of those stories comes not so much from Hex, but from the reactions of the people around him to the things yeah. that he does or doesn't do. That that is what adds a lot of the 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 drama and the the the. Um, you know the human element is watching the reactions of of you know the people who are affected by his actions in the story because he himself nine times out of ten seems to be completely unaffected one way or the other. Yeah, you know he he's doing what he's got to do to make a buck or or to put things right or whatever, and he does it and he goes on his way. And very seldom in a Jonah Hex story do you ever see him truly affected and that's i like that you know it's uh it makes it that much more powerful in the very rare times where he is moved by something because you just you you didn't see it very often so it was a big deal when it happened i I like that sort of thing he's yeah he's really a complex character they really should have just held off doing a movie about him and had like HBO do one of their series where you could do the violence and the that the would be brutality of it. Yeah, that would be a, a really good. You know, if if somebody ever wanted to bring back 
you know the the serialized western i think that would be one to uh to try to bring it back as you know because again you know it, it's a character that transcends that genre so you know hopefully it would appeal to you know like say so, like something like the walking dead yeah is appealing to so many more people than just horror zombie or zombie fans you know there's people that wouldn't normally you know they wouldn't think of watching something with that content in it but because of you know how well it's done you know you're you're able to get over that prejudice and and enjoy it and i think jonah hex has the potential to do something like that as well that you know you might sit down in front of it going yeah i hate westerns but by the compelling nature of it, end up really enjoying it. It's a shame. I mean, maybe one day it'll, you know, somebody will, will do something proper with that, uh, with that franchise as far as, you know, going beyond the comics. One can hope anyway. Did you, uh, see any other covers kind of catching your eye? Um, the only other one that really jumped out to me was, uh, you've got the last, um, Perez cover for, uh, for Star Trek, or the third one, this was the last one he did before. I forget who's on the net. I think it's the regular art team takes over from here. But I always like this. You've got uh, – it actually reminded me a lot of the Star Trek video game that I used to like to play right around this same time, that strategic operations simulator. Because you would get – you'd fly into a screen where you were the Enterprise, obviously, and you'd have one or two star bases, and then all these Klingons would come out and shoot at it. And you had to defend the star base and not get destroyed. Well, this cover is this fleet of Klingon battle cruisers destroying a star base as the Enterprise comes streaking into the scene. And it's by Perez. I mean, that, you know, it's it's awesome. That's a really, really good cover. It is a good Enterprise. Yeah, he does. Really does. Yeah. I, I like that quite a bit. I, uh, I never would have figured him for Star Trek. Because I just don't think Perez Star Trek, you know. This is true. This is very true. I don't really think of him in most licensed properties. When you think about it, I mean, well, it's it's funny true. that you say that because I was about to agree with you, but then again, I discovered him through you know, for me personally, I discovered him through a licensed product, which was uh, Logan's Run. So it's you know, oh, it actually well, kind of comes all the way back for me with that. But uh, you're right, though. I mean, he's not somebody that you would think of for. You know, Star Trek or Star. I'm trying to think what other licensed. I can't. I, there's got to be something, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any licensed stuff that he did. I can't. You know, I don't think he ever did any like Godzilla or anything like that. But Kojira. I'm probably now, there's probably something very obvious that I'm missing. Yes. That somebody out there is now yelling at their iPod or MP3 right. player or computer. Now. When you look at the covers all, like, on the page before you, like, uh, hone in on one, did you look at that new talent showcase and go, is that Booster Gold? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought it might be either him or, um, what was that other character? Oh, yeah, you know what? You blow it up, it looks completely different. But when it's time, it looks like, uh, there was a character that teamed up with Batman once or twice in Brave and the Bold right around this same era. I want to say Nemesis, but I, I don't think that's because there was a character called Nemesis. Yeah, and we. <laughs> well, plus that guy that we just saw in Green Lantern, uh, Jab, yeah, looks a little. Bit, but yeah, you're right. When it, as that tiny little 
picture on on the page with all the rest of the covers. That totally looks like Bruce. He's even got his goggles and everything. That's funny. Now, who? What's the name of the dude in the upper right hand corner of that vigilante cover? Because I never, I thought he came out of something completely different. Uh, let me look really quick. Because there was those characters that came out of those annuals. Is this what's his name like? It's like gunfire or something like that, right? Well, th- this is way before that. You know who I'm talking uh, about? Yeah, gunfire came out of uh, Bloodlines. But doesn't that look like him? A little bit. I'm, uh, my computer is suddenly acting slow. So, and I'm suddenly web- belching into the. Microphone. I think it's the website because I can't. I can't. Oh, the connection was reset. Thank you. <laughs> it never works when this, I need uh, it. Canon. Is that him? Let's see. Canon. Like the TV show? Canon. Oh, okay. Canon. Yeah, it does say. Yeah, Frank Canon. Canon and Saber. I don't know. And now that I see a, a proper head on picture, he only kind of slightly resembles that guy, but it's close enough that they could be like brothers or something, you know? <laughs> He does. He looks a lot like. Is that the yeah? A gunfire. He does look like gunfire. Yeah, <laughs> that dude's holding a sigh, <laughs> like wrong. <laughs> There's a specific way you do that. I do like the the last cover I want to mention is the the world's finest, where Batman is beating the piss out of Superman with kryptonite gloves. Apparently, there's a Neil Adams drawn story reprinted in this one. Oh, from. From uh, World's Finest oh, number, I think yeah, seventy six. I think I've read that story. I think I may have that story. Yeah, okay, I have read this story. The art's beautiful in that. I can't remember what the story is about now, but the art is gorgeous in that. All right, folks. I think that is yet another episode of Tales of the JSA. Come to a close. <laughs> Unless you had anything else to add. No, that's pretty much it for this time around, I think. Um, now, next time, let me think. What do we got? Because we'll have... All-Star 33 and Infinity Incorporated number two. And then we'll also have at least one um, monitor appearance. Or are we? you think we're still going to do those as separate episodes? Or we'll, we'll decide for right that... now, okay, uh, cool. since it's just a... By itself. Just one off. Yeah, okay. That's cool. Alrighty, folks, that is it for this week. Be sure to visit our website at www.tutufreaks.lipson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring both Scott and myself, as well as several other sad and pathetic human beings who've nothing better to do with their time. Join our forum at www forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this week's show and interact with us and your fellow listeners. We have built a great, fun, and friendly which is capitalized community there. (laughs) We'd love for you to be a part of it. As always, you can reach us by email at talesofthejsa at gmail.com and of course Scott and I are both on that Facebook thingy, now dealing with the whole timeline thing, which doesn't bug me. I don't know how Scott feels about it. Yes. Speaking of Facebook, if you enjoy this show, won't you please take a moment to mention us 
on the social networking site of your choice whenever you're listening. Word of mouth is still the best way to let others know about our show, and we really appreciate your help in growing our listenership. Thank you so much for listening, folks, and be sure to join us again next time for Tales of the Justice Society of America. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we did the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on 